1: everyone, this is David. Welcome back Behind the Velvet Rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one, the only, Mr. Steve Wilkos. (laughs)
0: How you doing? I
1: gotta give you an appropriate introduction, Steve. Come on.
0: Yeah, you know, I'd never get used to it, I guess.
1: (laughs) How are you today? I mean, season 15 of the Steve Wilkos Show. Did you ever think we would be
0: here? You know, it's funny, I never thought I'd have my own show, right? So uh, once I did get my show, I knew in my heart that it was going to be, I was going to make it succeed no matter what. Um, And obviously there was a lot of people, you know, when you hear Jerry Springer's bodyguard is getting a TV show, not a lot of people had, uh, you know, were supporting it or backing it or thinking that it would last 15 years. But uh, like I said, the lasting 15 years to me is not shocking the fact that I got a TV show, that's the shocking part because, you know, you look at who's getting shows even today, like the last few have been Drew Barrymore, Nick Cannon, people, big names, you know. I was started out as a security guard on the Spring show, so I was nobody. I wasn't a celebrity or anything, um, but the nice thing was back then where TV was, you could grow on one show and, and build a, a, a fan base And that's what happened with me, even though I wasn't, you know, per se, anybody, uh, people really got used to me. The show was very popular. So I did develop a a fan base. And so it it worked out. But still, it's, you know, nobody goes to work a part time security job and ends up with their own TV show.
1: No, it does not happen. Well, I mean, look, born and raised in Chicago, you were in the Marine Corps, you were a Chicago PD. So, you know, you were doing your job at the police department, how did you get that? Like, how did that call come in for, Hey, let's Jerry Springer needs a bodyguard.
0: Well, it really was, um, the Springer show when they did need, when they felt like they needed security, they called Pinkerton, which would hire off duty cops. One of the guys I knew that worked on my shift who runs my security now, Mike McDermott, uh, we were cops, you know, 30 years ago and he was working for Pinkerton. So they needed an extra guy. One day I happened to be the guy. And once I got my foot in the door, I really liked working there. And I knew, hey, this is good. It paid a lot of money. And so everything they asked me to do, I did it. And then, you know, I kept getting more and more responsibilities with the show. And, uh, you know, when they had a show, uh, I don't remember exactly the topic, but these two guys kept fighting all the time. And they said, just sit between them because these guys won't stop. So I sat between them. And that was kind of like my start, like, okay, people, you know, kind of recognize me. And uh, then, you know, I started getting more popular. And then the executive producer at the time said, hey, why don't you shave your head? And he goes, I'm going to make you very popular. And I said, hell, okay. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of hair. Uh, I just came out of the Marine Corps. So my hair was really short anyways to begin with. So uh, it wasn't that big of a leap, but it, it it did make a big difference.
1: Did you have any reservations and, you know, you were at the PD, like in working on Jerry, quote unquote, Jerry Springer.
0: Reservations about doing both. Or
1: just in the Jerry Springer show, you know. I
0: love working on a Springer show. Like, you know, when I look back at my life, that's going to be one of the best times of my life. It was just a lot of fun. Working with Jerry was great. And, you know, and I got to hire like five or six or seven of my friends that worked for me on the Springer show. So for me, it was like being in high school again, you're hanging out with your buddies. Uh, There was no rules. You're going around, you know, just acting like a goofball. And that's what the Springer show. There was no rules. There was no script. So even if like, if the show was bad, we would just start acting stupid and and come out of a show that way. So, uh, you know, and then, you know, it, it obviously made my job easier on the streets of Chicago because I'd pull somebody over and have my gun like stuck in their ribs or you know, and then people like, hey, you're Steve and, you know, we'd go to domestic and people were fighting and they would stop fighting and they'd be like, hey, how's Jerry? Is he a nice guy? And so it really was not time of my life, but it was uh, being on the Springer show made my life as a cop much easier.
1: Did people ask you, I mean, I guess for autographs, I don't know if we had the selfie at that point, but, you know, did people ask you for autographs when you went to like Oh, yeah, that, that was
0: that was a huge thing. Autographs. And um, nobody asks you for an autograph nowadays. I mean, very rarely. It's always selfies, like you said. But back then it was autographs. And I like to I tell people I used to get fan mail, actual fan mail. Now everything's email. And but people you would get letters, they start bringing them in boxes and women would send me their pictures, you know, old Polaroids and pictures. And, you know, that's that's all obsolete in a very mu- short amount of time, right? Like it was Seriously. Kind of cool opening all these physical letters and, and getting pictures of women and like nobody will ever experience that again because it's a different time in the world. It's just all about
1: the selfie now. Yeah. Well, you know, Marine Corps, Chicago PD, these are some serious credentials. Did that prepare you for what was at Jerry Springer?
0: Yeah, because, you know, being a policeman, it, it, it gave me uh, the ability to talk to someone and get information from them. So truthfully, it's a great training ground for a talk show. So become a cop. and Because, you know, majority of your day is talking to people. Uh, people that call the police or you see something on the street and you're getting information from them. And you're also learning how to get something out of somebody without them knowing it, right? And that's a big part of what I do on my show is getting people to reveal stuff that, they really don't want to reveal, and you know. So uh, the Marine Corps was just the work ethic, right? Like when I got in Marine Corps, I knew like I was going to be successful because like, there's a million people that are more talented than me, but nobody can outwork me, and that's a fact. Like nobody's going to work harder than I do, and uh, you know. And, and 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 that's what you hear nowadays. Like people get shows and like, oh, they showed up late or they had the audience waiting three hours, and it's like come on, man. That's not how you do it. Like that's not the quickest way to get canceled. But, um, but being a policeman really set me up to be successful at my own show.
1: What about, you know, what was the biggest, can you tell us like the most shocking thing you saw during your tenure when you were with Jerry Springer? I'll admit it as important as it is for me to eat healthy and put the right nutrients into my body and hydrate. or start a subscription on products you know you'll use. Go to 310nutrition.com and use the code VELVETROPE right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310nutrition.com and use code VELVETROPE.
0: Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Like a fun
1: story from behind
0: the scenes. I mean, Yeah, I mean, I could tell you, I could sit here all day and tell you stories. But this one, I've told the story before. And it was just because it's so shocking because it had nothing to do with the story. So there's two guys on stage fighting like a, like for the millionth time, and they start ripping each other's shirts off. And when the one guy's shirt got ripped off, he had one female breast, right? Like he's a normal guy, you know, looks like me, but he's got this beautiful female breast. And you know, I was like, what the hell, you know, like. You know, and the segment ends, and I go backstage, and I go up to the guy. I'm like, hey, man, you know, what's up with the female breast? And he goes, I was born that way. And I said, you didn't think to tell us about that? Or He goes, no, I didn't think it was a big deal. So <laughs> I was, like, so it was just, wow, because when the shirts got ripped off, the whole audience went crazy. It was, like, shocking. and But it, it just it, was, it, was, it had nothing to do with the story.
1: I mean, it's like, if you're coming on the Jerry Springer show, you should expect maybe your shirt will be ripped off, right?
0: Yeah. And like I just said, like, that's such an unusual thing. And, you know, the Springer show was, it was all the freakiest and craziest stuff. Like, yeah, we want to know if you have something odd like that.
1: Is it hard to be like a security for someone famous? Like if you're not on a show, you know, like Beyonce, like if someone has like personal security like that, is that, is that like a, I mean, because I know there's a lot of cops that go into positions like that.
0: You know, it's funny because before, like, I really, my popularity became, you know, uh, well-known. I w- I traveled with Jerry and I went with them and I never had a problem. Like, nobody ever, like, got out of line with Jerry. I never had to, like, throw somebody down or anything like that. But I, I worked with some cops and they worked with some pretty big names. And it was just shocking, like... Like, I, I can't say enough nice things about Jerry. Like, he was the most generous guy in the world. Uh, you know, at Christmas, you know, the presents he gave everybody at our show, our staff, but even just traveling with them. We always ate at the nicest restaurants and, you know, we'd go to ball games, whatever city we we're. And Jerry always paid for everything. He was a very generous guy. He was, he was awesome to hang around. And then I worked with a lot of cops that worked with some really big names in the sports. And entertainment world, and they would tell these shocking stories that this person's rude and not nice and and cheap. Like you know, one guy who's I'm not going to say his name, but he's one of the biggest sports names in the world. You know, billionaire, and they said the guy couldn't be any cheaper. Like he would never buy anybody anything, not dinner, not a round of drinks, nothing. And to me, I'm always like shocked by that, you know.
1: And you don't want to share his name here today behind the velvet rope, Steve.
0: No, I don't. But you can kind of figure it out. (laughs) I mean, one of the biggest names in sports. Wow.
1: Well, what did your police buddies say after you made the transition to Jerry? Did you get a lot of flack for that? Or was it the opposite? Was it like, hey?
0: No, the guys that knew me uh, were all happy for me, you know, because it was kind of a cool thing. And And then, like I said, a lot of guys I took care of, I put them on the payroll and stuff like that. But the guys that didn't know me, um, some supervisors, they had a problem with it, right? Because, you know, like, there's always going to be somebody jealous, right? So here I went from this cop where I was driving a Dodge Colt with, uh, you know, no back window. And, you know, now I'm on a spring show and I'm driving a Mercedes-Benz to work, you know. So, yeah, people are going to tend to be jealous and um, try to make life difficult. Because one time I had the sergeant come up to me. He's like, you know, this is your real job, not the spring show. And I'm like, well, the spring show pays me like seven times more than what the police department's paying me. So, yeah, I really don't agree with you. But uh, that's kind of But Like I said, most of the guys, everybody I knew was, you know, very happy for me. That's good. And so I know you filled in a little bit for Jerry, like throughout the years,
1: talk to me about in 2006, when he got dancing with the stars, how did that, how did that conversation go of you being the host to replace him? So
0: that's one of the most interesting conversations I ever had with the company when, so Jerry was going on dancing with the stars and they came to me and said, Hey, while Jerry's gone, you're going to host the show. And they said, he's going to be the first one voted off. So, You're only going to have to do it for a week. And I said, well, how much are you going to pay me? And the one lawyer for NBC was like, hey, no, no, this is an opportunity. I said, no, 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 no. I said, I'm not the host of the show. I'm director of security for the show. So if you want me to host the show, you got to pay me, period, end of story. And so they did. And, you know, they would pay me per show that I hosted, extra money. So... Jerry ended up being on Dancing with the Stars for like five or six weeks. And back then, we used to tape six shows in a week. So I ended up hosting at least 30 shows. And then Jerry came back. Well, then Jerry realized, hey, I could have Steve host the two shows on Monday. I could be off and still get paid the same. And then they would pay me a little more, you know. So that, so that was, you know, the year after he was on uh, Dancing with the Stars. So it worked out both nice for us. So he'd get an extra day off. I would make extra money. So it was a nice working arrangement. But I think the good thing was when those shows aired, the ratings went up. And uh, so that was 2000, all 2006. And then in fall, I mean, January of 2007, I, was, uh, I, was, I had a drink. It was about 1130 at night. I'm watching All in the Family. I'll never forget this. And uh, my wife was in bed. My kids are in bed. They're real small at the time. And I got a call from NBC, and they're like, uh, You know, you got your own TV show. We're, we're launching you in a farm. And I thought it was like somebody screwing around, like, Who is this? You know? And they're like, Oh, you know, so and so. So I went up, I told my wife, and she's like, Are you drunk? You know? I'm like, No, man, I'm getting my own show. So it was, that was a really crazy time. Cause I, I you know, I, again, I never thought in a million years that I'd have my own TV show. I never wanted it, never tried out for it. When, when
1: Jerry was on Dancing with the Stars, were you just like, Jerry, please don't get voted off? Like, come on. Like, were you sitting there calling in for Jerry to not get voted not, off? Not
0: at first, because I was scared to death. You know, uh, you know when you're a second banana, you can, like, kind of fool around on the show. And you don't even realize you're on camera. You're having fun. But then all of a sudden, when you're holding that microphone, it's like a totally different beast. And, you know, I would never trained or, you know, I, like Jerry was a newscaster before the show. I was a cop. So I was terrified, but, uh, you know, after like that first week, I think I started really having fun with it and it got easier as we went along. Could you just tell like right away? Cause
1: right. Like you didn't have any background in that other than filling in for Jerry. Was it just like love at first sight? Like, okay, I, I, I can do this or.
0: Yeah. After a while. But then when I got my own show that just terrible, horrible feeling of what do we do now? Like the first year of my show, like the first couple days, you're like, you know, how, how, what do we do? What do we do to distinguish ourselves from other TV shows, that kind of thing? And, you know, and I, I just, and truthfully, I thought the kind of stories that we were doing, like domestic violence, child molestation, those things, I thought nobody would have any interest in watching. How wrong was I, man? Like people just... They tuned in man it was it was nuts
1: this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check out betterhelp.com slash velvet robe. You may not be feeling down and out and depressed or like you're at a total loss, but if your stress level is high, your temper is shorter than usual, or even if you're starting to feel strained in any of your relationships, you could probably use the chance to unload. Talk to someone who's completely unbiased and who's not going to judge you or take sides. If there's stuff you can't tell your friends or family, this this is the place to do it. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's a much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain for it. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, And Behind the Velvet Rope listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash velvet rope. Betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. It was nuts. And people do tune in. I yeah. mean, you have this tough love approach when people need it. You know, you're yeah. abrasive and honest, but in like a good way. And you know, if people walk off and go backstage, you have no problem following them, telling them you to know, get off well, your my, stage.
0: Well, you know, it's, it's really like giving my dad a show because I do the show how my dad raised me, you know, and it might be dated, right? It might be obsolete to some people, but that's who I am. And, I, and I'm 57 years old. I'm not going to change. And, you know, to me, there's too much victimization uh, in this world. It's like, oh, you know, something happened in California. and I can't go to school today because I'm mentally fragile. And, you know, it's just, you know, okay, it's fine. I guess some people, they do have legitimate issues. But it just seems to me like I was raised in the world of the Marine Corps and the police where it's like, hey, too bad. Get the job done. That's all we care about, you know, and, and. know that's how my dad raised me so
1: i get it my parents i mean i have an incredible work ethic too and my parents raised me the same way like go to work get out of bed go to school i don't want to hear it like period the end like and
0: people everybody people look at me like oh you got so great this that i go not all the time like i have my own trials and tribulations and stuff i have to go through and raise the two kids and you know so it's like yeah you know everybody has the bricks on their back at some point you know And you can lay down and say, oh, I give up. Or you can say, you know what, I got to get up and I got to do my job. And, you know, there's a lot of times that, you know, even me, like I went through a really bad period of depression in my life and I still had to go to work. I had to go through two, two shows a day for three days, you know, and nobody gave a crap that I was, you know, in this darkest hole of my life. And, you know, I couldn't get out of bed and I had to, you know. Nobody gave a damn. Just do what you're supposed to.
1: In the entertainment business, the show must go on is the truest statement, right? It really is. Yeah. They're like, listen, are you making money for us today? And if not, you better go make some money. They're going to move
0: on to somebody else.
1: Why do you think it is, you know, 15 years? Like that is no easy feat. Like, what do you think is the appeal?
0: Well, you know, the, the good thing with my show is that we have a niche, that nobody else covers, right? I mean, most of all shows that come out nowadays, uh, they're all celebrity-driven, right? You know, uh, Drew Barrymore, Kelly Clarkson, you know, maybe a little, uh, Kelly Clarkson, I know, sings a little bit on the show. Uh, Nick Cannon's come out, it's celebrity-driven. So we're not competing against them, you know? They're all competing against each other. Or, you know, where you had Jerry uh, before uh, he does. He did Judge Jerry, but Maury, Maury doing the DNA, Jerry doing the love triangles so what they all lumped us in together is trash tv which i hate because i think we do a really good show and we help people um we're not fighting against anybody else you know we're not up against any other talk show because nobody else out there is dealing with the topics of true crime and uh you know assault and molestation and you know things of this nature arson robbery murder you know we're, we cover all those topics and no, the talk shows cover that. So we're, we're basically, we're, you know, we have our own, our own segment.
1: Are you a fan of any, like, do you watch all these other talk shows like the Drew uh, I
0: When I have time, cause mostly during the day, I'm very busy, but um, I, I, I always try to watch uh, Jerry's show, whether it was Jerry Springer or Judge Jerry. I, I, I'll watch Maury when I get a chance. Um, I love Wendy Williams. Uh, I, you know, when, she's probably be the one outsider outside of uh, our little NBC. Like I love Wendy Williams. um, You know, so I, I, and then I'll tune into the new shows that get launched. You know, when Kelly Clarkson got launched, when um, Nick Cannon, I checked him out uh, when Jerry was, uh, you know, uh, you know, he just launched. uh, I watched Drew Barrymore when she launched, I just, I'll see what they're doing and then, you know, then I kind of move on. But, Wendy Williams, I like her Hot Topics segment because um, I'm really not on top of things. And, you know, so I kind of feel like I could catch up on everything if I watch her show.
1: All you have to do is watch Wendy's Hot Topics and you're pretty much caught up on all that's exactly. going on. Yeah. What do you think about all that's going on with Wendy now? You know, like I know she's out for a while.
0: I love Wendy. I've always got along with her really well, professionally and, and personally. And I just wish her the best. Me too.
1: Did you have, like, who did you look up to? Did you look up to anyone, like, when you got your own show, you know, when that call came in, or even, like, did you look up, did you look to your predecessors besides Jerry and say, these are some people that I'd like to...
0: You know, like, listen, I always said I couldn't say enough uh, nice things about Jerry. He's been wonderful. But I've never looked up to a talk show host, right? Like, I don't know. To me, it's like a silly job, right? Right. And, you know, my job is more serious than, like, say, Jerry Amore. But, like, you know, even when I tell, like, I was in California this weekend, and people are like, oh, so what are you doing? I'm like, I'm a talk show host. I'm almost embarrassed to say it. I don't know why, but it's like, it just it's like a silly job title. Oh, you're a talk show host,
1: you know. Well, if you ever don't want your talk show host gig, and you don't want to say that anymore, here behind the velvet rope, you can just reach out to me, and, you know, I, I will – how about this? When you go on Dancing with the Stars, I will fill in for you. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. Well,
0: I always, I always joke. When they tell you you're going on Dancing with the Stars, your career's over. <laughs> you're on the downside of things.
1: So maybe you won't get that call for a very long time.
0: Well, I just don't. Like, but the truth of it is, like, I was just in California with my daughter this weekend. She's out in college. And it was parents weekend. So we flew all the way out, which is a long trip from East Coast all the way out to the West Coast. My daughter's like, Dad, why can't you just be out here? And I said, honey, you know why? Because I, I got to do my show. And she's like, yeah, but you've been doing it for so long. Why don't you just quit? And I said, you know, maybe that day's coming. Do your, do your kids watch your show? No. <laughs> I mean, does any young people that young or younger watch TV? No. Yeah, that's the sad thing. They don't. Yeah.
1: Speaking about people to look up to, even though you don't look up to any talk show hosts, you were on Howard Stern, which I thought was one of the best.
0: Okay. So if we're going to like here, by the way, you're doing a great job because you're hitting things that a lot of people don't hit. When I, I said, you know, when I traveled with Jerry, before I got my own show, I said to a million interviews, right? Then I've got my own show. And after 15 years, I've done, you know, a thousand interviews. Howard Stern, there's a reason why that guy's making the money he is. Because, you, like you just said, that was the best interview I've ever done or Joe ever did. And I was sitting there blown away by this guy. So if I'm going to look up to anybody as an interviewer, as a talk show host, I don't know, like a radio talk show host or whatever. He's the best, hands down, and there's nobody even close to him. I
1: would agree with that. Yeah. As far I mean, as radio and all that.
0: Yeah, I mean the guy, like he, like the interview was, like he's just talking to you in a way that you know was so much. You know, most interviewers go and they they go on Wikipedia or whatever they do, and they ask the same damn questions, you know. And Howard was—he's not that guy. You guys have
1: similar style though. Like he's kind of just direct, and I mean you're kind of direct, and you don't beat around the bush. I I, I see similarities there. But but and
0: he's he's a guy that obviously whether it's him or his producers or whoever, they obviously do a lot of research before they have a guest come on. You know, because you get on shows where, like, I've done interviews with people and they're like, oh, so you got your start on Maury Povich. And I'm like, okay, man, you you just mailed it in, right? Like, so for me, then the interview just goes south because I'm like, you didn't even try. <laughs> just type it into Wikipedia. They put Maury Jerry. Right, they saw Maury's name. They're like, oh, I got to start on Maury. Oh, okay. You're like, let's
1: move on here. Yeah. Well, you know, you have this amazing career, but I have to tell you one of the highlights for me is your appearances on Miss Brandy Glanville's Unfiltered podcast. I mean, we have a lot of the housewives on this very show here. And talk to me about, you know, Brandy is a huge fan of yours.
0: Oh, and, you know, I I don't think I've ever watched any episode of any housewife, but, you know, I don't think it's geared towards me, you know? And um, but I love being on her show and with her podcast I think she does a great job and I always thought that she would make a good daytime talk show host and I told her that um, just almost impossible to get any new show up on here now but I thought uh, she would have a lot of appeal I think to a daytime audience I think she does a really good job and you know she's a little unfiltered too which I like you know
1: unfiltered quite a bit <laughs> you know the housewives i see some similarities they have some drama you know you resolve dramas
0: you know people like you know they're like that's got to be fixed i go listen no nothing's fixed but even like on the springer show you know do we pump gas up of course you do because if you get somebody goes out there and sitting on a log and they're not expressive and they're not passionate like it's boring so like yeah Every show wants drama and pump it up. And, you know, but anyways, we're talking about Brandy Glanville and how, you know, when we talk about Housewives and how you want to get guests pumped up and people say, you know, about, oh, this is fake. That's fake. The Housewives. And um, I'm like, you know, even people on my show will come on like, you're just doing this show for ratings. I'm like, yeah. I mean, what do you think I'm doing it for? Like this isn't a charity; it's a TV show. You see the cameras there. Like I'm not trying to hide anything. Every TV show does it for the ratings. What are you talking
1: about? It's like, why is that always such a dirty word? People say things like that to me all the time. I'm like, this is a business. Like, I mean, yeah. I I love it. I love my yeah. job. But
0: yeah. but like you're doing it for ratings. Yeah, that's why I'm standing on this stage. Like that's yeah. Like, do you get satisfaction of doing a show? Like I do. Like helping people. Like. We did a show where this woman said, "Like you arrested me and you changed my life." Do I get satisfaction in that? Hell yeah! But if that didn't rate, guess what? I would never do that story again.
1: Absolutely. What could we expect different on season fifteen? Like, how will season fifteen be different of the Steve Wilco show? Well,
0: I think over the last couple of years, you've seen a shift into we're doing uh, real crime stories, and sometimes it's. It's even a story that um, we don't have to give a lie detector test on our show, but it's somebody that has spent, you know, 25 years in prison and they were unjustly accused or convicted. And we've done some stories like that this year and, and just talking to these people about how they were able to overcome that and what their experience was like. So, um, but we also shifted to where we're working on unsolved crimes, uh, things of that nature. And so um the the people really seem to eat that up it felt it falls really like i said uh neatly and for me being a a police officer former investigator so i've always enjoyed that type of topic anyways you know we still do you know once in a while do the the cheating uh, the love the love thing or you know whatever dna um but our, our our show is basically uh true crime now do you find
1: like one common theme with all this true crime? I mean, like where someone's like, you know, convicted incorrectly and they spend like a number of years. I mean.
0: Well, we've done that joke. Uh, we're getting a couple of those more this year. We, we had a few of those last year. And uh, to me, it's always fascinating because, you know, I don't know if I could last a week in prison, right? M- maybe not a couple of nights, but you know, when you're facing, like this one guy, he was facing, Uh, life without parole how do you go in and and succeed and you know this this one guy um, he went in and you know he hit the library and and did his own appeals and he eventually got out and um, you know when you think about something like that I mean I guess you know you do find it but man it's hard to imagine that you're going to life in prison you're like okay I mean I think I just crawl up and die you know
1: I would think that I would do the same. But you know, like you say, like your work ethic, maybe you'd be surprised at yourself. Maybe right, come because out. I
0: think I think deep down in you you would do something to say, okay, I'm gonna try to get out of here. Whether it's, you know, carving a hole in the wall like Shawshank Redemption or like this guy going to the library and getting appealed and you know, getting yourself out.
1: Absolutely. Do you ever get starstruck? I mean, you've met so many people through your job.
0: You know, there's a couple guys I've met in my life where I was really starstruck. One was uh, Michael Jordan when I met him. And I met him a few times. And even t- every time you almost feel like this guy's got like a, a an aura around him, you know? And then uh, the other guy that I was totally starstruck, because I watched him since I was a little kid, was uh, Muhammad Ali. I mean, you know, I met him in Detroit at a baseball game. And the security came in and said, hey, Muhammad Ali's next door. Would you like to meet him? I'm like, I thought they were messing around with me. Like, what's he doing at a Tigers game? And I went in and there he was. And like he was talking to me, telling me jokes, and uh and, you know, this guy was probably the most famous person on our planet. So yeah, those two guys I was you know definitely starstruck.
1: What about the opposite when people come up and are starstruck by you? Had you have you had any strange fan interactions?
0: Well, you know, you're I've always like most people are really like level headed when I mean we're like, hey Steve, like one guy on the plane yesterday, uh, we were getting off at the same time. He just starts talking to me, like so conversationalist. I had to look at the guy like, do I know this guy? Because he's like, you know, hey Steve, were you in Kevin, you know? And then he kept talking. I'm like, maybe I know this guy and you know, like, but he was just a fan. But then there are people that are over the top there. Like, I go, you're not meeting Mick Jagger, man. like, you know, I'm a calm down. It was just I'm just a talk show. So But it is nice. And, you know, I ran into people that actually have, like, me tattooed on them. And I'm like, okay, that's you went over the line there. You shouldn't have done that. You're like, how did this come about? Yeah, like, not a good waste. Kind of a waste of money. Well, one
1: great byproduct, Jerry Springer, didn't just give you your own show. It gave you, I mean, you got the girl. So, Yeah. yeah. How is your wife doing?
0: She's great, man. She, uh. You know, she had bad, a long battle with breast cancer and uh, she's all done. She's all done with chemo. And, you know, it's kind of one of those things you got to wait for five years to, like, say all clear. But, you uh, know, she's she's done amazing. And, you know, hopefully uh, we're out of the woods.
1: I hope so, too.
0: Well, yeah. you, you
1: basically are married to the boss. She's yeah. the exec. So how does that work when, you know, sometimes the talent and the executive producer don't, you know, they have different visions of what to do in a situation. Yeah, That's
0: true. But I, I, I've been smart enough to know that I'm not a TV producer. Um, and I learned that lesson on Springer, you know, early days, like producers work really hard and put the show together. And there was times I try to inject like what I thought. And then I realized, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. So, you know, and there was times like there were stories I didn't want to do, right? Like, I don't want to do that. My wife's like, just do it. You'll look good. And she's right. So, Now, after that was probably the first five or six or seven years that I bucked heads, then I learned just do what she wants and and things will work out. And so that's been a good game plan for me for the last eight years. You're just like, Yes, yes, yes." yeah. I and and there's times like I gotta bite my tongue because I don't want to do it, but I'm just like, Just get it done. You're like, You're the EP, you know, best, Yeah. yeah. And I'm just like, The time it takes that you're going to argue. And then I'm going to lose anyways. I'm going to do it anyway. So I'm like, just get it over with.
1: That makes sense. Well, I'm excited for season 15 of the Steve Wilco show. Is there anything else I didn't cover here today, which you would like to discuss? I always like to give people a chance at the end. And
0: listen, you know, and Sarah could tell you, I'm not just telling you this. I think you did an amazing job of this interview because I think you got things out of me that, that a lot of people don't ask about you uh, really brought up some things that we stared in a really good direction. So my kudos to you, because like I said, I'm I'm not very impressed all the time when I do these interviews, but I've been impressed with this one. Well,
1: I know that you don't just say things to say them. So right. coming from yeah. you, that means a lot because you would tell me if you hated it and you weren't impressed with me.
0: Well, I, I wouldn't say anything. I'd just be like, okay, you know, that's it. But I, I, I think what makes a good interviewer is that you get things out different that people haven't heard before. And that's what makes it interesting because like I said, there's so many interviews I do where people, they don't do their homework. Uh, they don't like, you even know what's going on about my wife, which, you know, a lot, not a lot of people ask about that. So it's just uh, it's one, it's a nice thing. And two, I think it makes for a good interview when you get things out and even talking about like the Howard Stern thing, when you said, who impresses me, nobody except for him. And, I'm, and I, I don't want to be so mean, like, I don't appreciate Jerry, but like, you know, Howard Stern's way up here above us all. And, you know, so I, I, I tell you, you did a great job.
1: Well, I really appreciate it. You can come back any day that you <laughs> would like. So where can everyone find you online? If they'd like to follow uh, you. Wilkos.com.
0: And, you know, if they need to find out where, uh, where the show airs, you know, because we are syndicated all over, but there's, you know, Steve Wilkos on Facebook and everywhere else. So uh, really easy to find them. You know, hope everybody is enjoying this 15th season.
1: I love it. I can't wait to watch it. And again, the door is open anytime you want. I really appreciate your time.
0: All right. Thank you very much. Take
1: care. Have a great day. Bye. bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of behind the velvet rope, because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear,